You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And welcome in Late Kick is Live. It is Thursday night, December 16th, year of our Lord, 2021, off the heels of the most legendary signing day, easily the most memorable signing day that any of us have ever been a part of, both as a fan or as an amicable host, which we were in Fort Lauderdale executing the duties of yesterday. We are jam-packed tonight, high atop downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Obviously, full reaction there. Texas A&M, huge day for them. I mean, we've even got Jackson State having a huge day. That's how you know it was a big deal. Nick Saban was right again. It just keeps happening. Colin, Jesse, about every two or three months, we get to do a segment where we talk about something Nick Saban said and something you wagged your finger at and shamed him for and then something he ends up being right on. Uh, he did it again. Oh, and by the way, Alabama uh, also had a very good class again yesterday. Probably not done there for that Alabama class. We've got big surprises to discuss. We've got so many programs to talk about. We've got bold best bets tonight. Yes. The Ramen Noodle Express does operate during bowl season. We just wanted to wait and get as many opt-outs out of the way as possible. At Late Kick Josh, there is a lot coming up over the entire next, what, like month? Make sure you're following there. At Late Kick Josh, a lot of space events coming up. If you know, you know. If you don't, just follow and find out. Uh, also on Instagram, at Late Kick Josh. lot going on. Yesterday, I want to talk about this before we even dive into our initial reaction. Yesterday, we were in Fort Lauderdale. A lot of you tuned in. We had record-breaking traffic on the channel. Uh, so many of you tuned in. Thank you for that. Our friends down in Fort Lauderdale at CBS Sports HQ uh, made things go very smoothly. They're just an army of folks. It's like someone kicked over an ant bed, and all these ants were just going all over the place, putting out fires all day, and boy, we needed them. Because when I'm sitting there at the desk and I got Andrew Ivins here and we had Cooper Patagna, we had Chris Singletary, we had Steve Wolfong, everyone was in the house and we thought things were going to go pretty smoothly. You always have an idea of where you're going to go on signing day. But when someone comes in your ear and says there's something going on with Travis Hunter, three, two, one, okay, we're back from break and you don't know what's going on. Then you start to say, oh, is Georgia flipping him? What's happening? I mean, Travis Hunter is the number one player in the country. We figured not to talk about him a whole lot during the day because we figured he was solid to FSU. But I'm telling you, when I toss to Steve Wolfong over on the side set and he's reading off that phone and he's saying, it uh, looks like not Florida State for Travis Hunter, looks like Jackson State. I pulled the huh? on air because I thought he had misspoken. No, it was Jackson State. Let me tell you, that was historic. And when you're part of something that's historic in the moment, I don't know, it's, um, it's an adrenaline rush, but it's a different kind of adrenaline rush. It's not like the kind you get where you try and pull a car off someone who's trapped or you know, when you go skydiving or if it's the bottom of the ninth, game seven of the World Series. It's not that kind of adrenaline rush. It's a different kind of adrenaline rush, but when you're doing live TV, you used to have breaking weather live TV when I was in news. I loved it. There's a threat to human life. That's not the fun part, but just the overall adrenaline part Loved it. Looked forward to it. When that happened yesterday, everybody experienced that. Some for the first time. I've been through that before, but not something as unique as that. History. Absolute history. I know there are a million different opinions on this. I've watched thread after thread on message boards get shut down today because everyone's got an opinion on NIL, transfer portal, Travis Hunter goes to Jackson State, Deion Sanders pulls him away from his alma mater. There are a million different angles. You can make an entire documentary, which, oh, by the way, they've been doing the entire year on Travis Hunter and ultimately this decision. 
I just want to tell you, purely from a spectacle standpoint, it was unbelievable. And our friends, uh, Maria Martin, actually, and 11 Alive News up in Atlanta, they were all over that. They were at the signing. And so then they're live and they've all of a sudden got the biggest story in signing day history unfolding. Our video, I mean, our entire live show is still on the channel. So if you want to fast forward to where that unfolded, I've already watched it today. That is memorable. We're going to clip that and save it for the rest of our lives. There will be a lot more written and talked about that. I'm going to talk about it later in the show, kind of from a different angle, though. And it's ultimately an angle that's going to have to be addressed. There is a mess that has to be cleaned up in our sport. I'm not talking about a single kid. I'm not talking about even a single signing day. But there is, there is, a, lot of, there is a lot of things that on the surface have a spot in the sport that are not being properly regulated right now, not properly policed or contained or whatever the case may be. And it's got to be addressed. And I don't know that it's going to be addressed soon enough, but it needs to be addressed. But that's not where I want to start. I just want to start with signing day reaction in general. The SEC, always the place to be on signing day. And there was a huge focus on the SEC yesterday and a huge focus on Texas A&M. Texas A&M lands the best class in program history. I was looking at some of the numbers today. Do you realize if they didn't land another kid and you shaved all the five stars off of their current class, they'd still have a better class than Jimbo's ever signed there. And you kind of play around with the class calculator and you can look at all kinds of different scenarios. Uh, well, the thing about it is they are going to land more kids. I mean, I can confidently tell you they're not done. They are already with the highest rated recruiting class in the country this year, the highest rated recruiting class in the SEC this year. They addressed a lot of needs. We talked to Jimbo Fisher at length. I'm going to play you sound in just a couple of seconds. But they address needs at quarterback. They got a lot of really good perimeter skill. Connor Wegman, Jimbo Fisher, I'm going to let him tell you over myself, thinks he's the best quarterback in the country. They've got some playmakers, the likes of which they really haven't had there. Now, keeping them on the field has been another issue, too, in terms of health. They got so many studs yesterday. I'm not even talking about defense. Defense, they totally retooled and revamped yesterday, too. But we get Jimbo Fisher on. We get notified in our ear, hey, we got Jimbo Fisher. And it was in the middle of the afternoon. Now, I wanted to get Jimbo bad. And we got him yesterday. And I wanted to ask him a couple of questions in particular, and we got him both in. I think he gave us some really good stuff. This is not coach speak from Jimbo Fisher, so I want you to listen very closely. And as he's talking, I also want you to keep in mind, what have the problems been with A&M? What have been the one or two things that when you've watched them, you've said, that's what's keeping them from winning the SEC. That's what's keeping them from being a college football playoff team. As you keep that in mind, let's roll Jimbo Fisher from yesterday. There are a lot of things that feel historic about the program, but we're watching from 50,000 feet. You're in the weeds there. You're running things every day. Do things feel different in this class? Is it that much of a shift like it maybe feels on the outside? Well, I mean, I think people realizing what we can do, where we're going, where this game is going, what our future is here, and what, what A&M can present for them, not only athletically, but for life after ball education and everything else. This, this place is all encompassing. It has everything it needs. Uh, they're committed to winning. They're committed to doing everything. We've gotten great great classes the last three or four years and they see that we're ready to make a hump and they want to be part of something and you want to be the first to do something not just another guy who does something and uh this place can be very special and i think they see it and the guys in texas are staying home and then we're we're able to go out and cherry pick some guys across the country to to come to us instead of people coming in here and getting our guys so it's been very historic in that way and i think it, hopefully that'll be the trend from here on out that was a loaded answer there there's a lot of themes in the last few years in recruiting you just hit on i wanted to go back to keeping your guys in state your quarterback there connor wigman our steve wolfong was just talking about him and how every headline's been about quinn ewers and where is he headed via the transfer portal 
And you guys weren't really involved in that. And it probably speaks volumes, correct me if I'm wrong, to how confident you are in the quarterback you already had in your class. Well, those guys are all great players, but I've invested from the number one when they were the same. I think this guy's the best guy in the country. I think, I think he can do everything you have to do. He can, more important, besides the running and the throwing, he's unbelievably competitive. He's unbelievably tough. He affects his teammates in a great way. And there wasn't a lot of Division One players on his team. And they, I mean, when he played, they won, period. Took him deep in the playoffs, and if he couldn't play the game, they got beat. Now, whether they won it or not, but the way he affects his guys, his arm, his leg, he has unbelievable acts. I had him in camp. His release, his, his intelligence level, unbelievable learning abilities. And run is a legit 4-6, high 4-5 guy, makes you miss, big physical. And, you know, I mean, there's nothing he can't do. And when you put the intangibles with the great ability, I, I think he's the best, the best one in the country. Let me ask you this. You're talking about quarterback there, and you're talking about those characteristics you always look for. I'm looking at some of the perimeter skill talent here, too. Are there things offensively you've wanted to do in your tenure there that you have not been able to do to this point that personnel like this will now allow you to do? Oh, no doubt. I mean, you go back. We've had, I've had uh, guys that won the Blitnikoff. We had all-time leading receivers in the SEC. We had tons of first-run guys, a bunch of guys in Florida State. And, our, and our, you know, we got banged up and bruised up. And we've had great tight ends, great backs. And my receivers have done really good. We you know get some guys who can get up, get to the top, taking off the defense, get down, make the big plays, and really stretch the field in so many different ways. And that's what I've always done. We've been able to always run the ball, but have balance. But you got to stretch the field, those actions and, and deep ball threats. And I think this class will allow us to do that when it's all said and done. Did you catch that? See, there's this thought out there, and I am a part of this. I believe this too. There's been this thought that Texas A&M has lacked a certain explosivity in their downfield passing game. Now, partly. It's Jimbo Fisher's offense, too complicated. And then the other part is, well, maybe they just don't have the athletes. Well, I wanted to ask him about it, and I did. And you just heard what he said. He said, absolutely, there's stuff I want to do that we haven't been able to do, that we will hopefully be able to do with the pieces in this class. He's not wrong. He's not wrong on paper as, as far as we can go on signing day because there are elements, there are pieces in this class that they have not had. You may look at it and you may say, he's been on campus a long time now. Why hasn't he already gone and gotten them? Uh, well, Partly because he may have gone and gotten one in Haynes King and he got hurt last year. So maybe that's the case. Maybe it's as simple as that. Uh, maybe he's right. They have had some pieces that they theoretically could work with and they were banged up. He's never had a collection of talent coming in town like he's got here. He also went on to talk about the competitive character and makeup as being the critical factor they were looking for here. Because he knows, as well as anyone else out there does, when you bring in this kind of roster, you bring in that kind of talent, you also run the risk in the transfer portal era of part of that class exiting via the filter of the transfer portal if they're not immediately playing. I'll tell you something else as we move on here. That's also why it's critical for a program like A&M to recruit their home state. Alabama, ditto. Georgia, ditto. Florida, FSU, Miami, ditto. It's not that you are immune to the transfer portal if you recruit in-state players, but those in-state players have a second thought before they exit via the transfer portal because if you got a kid playing in College Station that's from Spokane, Washington, it's nothing for them to leave in the dead of night. They'll never be back in Texas again, but if they're from Cypress, Texas, and they exit College Station, they got to go home and on every street corner be looked at as the guy who couldn't cut it down the road and came back here, and now what are you? That's not easy to deal with. I'm a big believer that there's a correlation between not suffering as much exodus via the transfer portal and recruiting your state, locking your state down. They did that to a large degree yesterday. Sark in Texas had a good day. Jimbo Fisher and A&M had a historic day. Keep an eye on that because Denver Harris, they lead for him. Uh, Harold Perkins, they lead for him. Uh, this could end up being the highest rated class of all time.
I think that uh, if you took, if I gave you that headline about six months ago, I think all A&M fans would have taken it. What about Georgia? Because there are three classes, I'm about to talk about the other two, in this recruiting cycle that distance themselves from the rest of the pack. A&M was one, Georgia's another one. This defensive class is nasty, and I'm looking specifically at the versatility in this defensive class, which is something that we did not see enough of from Georgia when they were playing against Alabama. This is what I always like to do on signing day. I don't just want to read off names. I don't just want to have Jesse, I don't just want to have the production crew put up a list of names and their star rankings. You need to know about how they fit needs. Well, Georgia, when they were playing Bryce Young, they didn't have a Will Anderson or a Dallas Turner. They didn't have those singular difference-making edge rushers. They didn't have that. They had one in Adam Anderson that wasn't on the field. And so did they get guys like that? Well, not only do I think they, I think they met that need with a guy like Marvin Jones Jr., but they also still got the depth and versatility. They got a guy like Bear Alexander, who is a 6'3", 325. But then they also get Michael Williams, Hardaway High School's Michael Williams out of Columbus, Georgia. Go Hawks. Uh, 6'5", 265. And then Marvin Jones Jr. is more 6'4", 245. Uh, they also added Jaheim Singletary, who's one of the best corners in the country. Up and down the board, all three levels of the defense, they added difference makers. It's a really good day for them there. Wide receiver is a position that I've had some of my Georgia buddies complaining about and uh, complaining that they didn't address it. I'll say this, I will agree with you that there is a sort of a data incomplete blinking red light at the wide receiver position right now. They're not done, is what I'm saying. You, you gotta, in the transfer portal era, learn to look at early signing day for what it is. It's kind of one threshold, and then the second signing day, the final one, that's another threshold. But then you get through spring practice, and then you go into that second transfer portal window. Once you're through all that, then you know what your roster is going to look like. I mean, this time last year, even going into spring of last year, there were guys that ended up playing for Georgia that weren't even on the team. Wide receiver could be like that for Georgia. So don't freak out just yet. You never know, you know what, which one or two difference makers you could add. For all you know, your Jamison Williams is still out there. It's a rare exception to the rule there, but you get my point. So let's not freak out just because on December 16th, Georgia doesn't have what you want at receiver. What about Alabama? Speaking of receiver, Alabama has become infamous for having that kind of elite, just deadly perimeter skill, and they got some more of it yesterday. Nick Saban and his staff put a premium on that position and a premium on those specific characteristics and traits. Isaiah Bond, uh, Shaz Preston, Aaron Anderson, Kobe Prentice, all of those guys are top 150 athletes slash receivers all of them are track speed guys, and so they just keep reloading. It's like a blueprint. They've got a receiver type that they like, and there are enough of them out there where the best in the business can go get multiples per class. Nick Saban got multiples. Track speed, don't have to sacrifice physicality. They're going to be very good blockers. They're not going to be on the field, and they got enough of them where you know, they, can, they can load them up and they can stack them. That's what we're looking at with Alabama. That's what a program like Georgia is trying to do. Uh, it's just, it's a lot harder than it looks to acquire that kind of talent. They got two top 60 offensive tackles yesterday too. And you're looking at them right there in Tyler Booker and Elijah Pritchett. Kirby Smart, I heard him talking yesterday about how he thought this was kind of a down year along the offensive line, but you're dealing with what you deal with. It's like if you're the New York Jets and you need a quarterback and you just happen to be drafting in a year where it's down at quarterback, well, what do you do? You, you probably still take a quarterback. Well, Alabama got two really good tackle prospects there. And again, you never know with the portal down the road what you can do. I thought they addressed what could end up being a need there. You can never have enough of those big-bodied guys. But I'll tell you what was quiet. Same way with Penn State. 
a five-star quarterback in this class, Ty Simpson. Because he's been committed for a long time, you didn't talk about him a lot yesterday. We didn't talk about him. I don't even think I mentioned Ty Simpson's name yesterday on the show that we did in Fort Lauderdale, but that's only because you've sort of baked him into the class already. And maybe it's irresponsible to think that way. I think Travis Hunter showed us that. But you've already kind of baked him into the class. Ty Simpson is a stud from the state in which I sit right now, Tennessee. He's number 24 overall in the country, and he was a guy that was kind of, you know, one of those alpha recruiters, what you hope your quarterback in your class is going to be. He's a guy that committed early, stayed solid, stayed true the whole time, and then worked on other guys. So Alabama's got another top three class there. Uh, They also added Eli Ricks last night. I was sitting in the Fort Lauderdale airport, and I'm about to board a flight home because, as you know, I don't wait until the next morning like the rest of these suckers around here just now dragging in. I got in here at 11 last night. We went right to work punching out the show. Um, As I was in the terminal, I all of a sudden get the alert. Eli Ricks is done. It was a text message. Then the alerts came shortly thereafter. Eli Ricks is a massive addition for them. That is a five-star level corner transferring from LSU. I want to confidently tell you, as confidently as I can put it, Alabama's not done with the transfer portal this cycle. Is that, that's vague enough. Yeah, I think that's vague enough. Alabama's not done in the transfer portal yet. More on Alabama and the transfer portal later in the show. What about the Florida Gators? There's been such a calm confidence around this program ever since they hired Billy Napier. Were you paying attention to Florida going into signing day? Answer, no, you were not, unless you're a Florida fan. And then all of a sudden, Shamar James, four-star linebacker. Where's he going? Well, he's going to the University of Florida. And then Kamari Wilson, going to the University of Florida. And it's, it's a huge deal. Now, they have a very light signing class right now. They, I mean, what did they sign? They, they didn't sign a huge class yet. That's only because the staff got in the door five minutes ago. And so they'll make a lot of moves down the road, too, with the transfer portal. This is a prime transfer portal candidate. I mean, this Florida Gator logo right here, that is the poster child in this particular 2021-2022 cycle for the transfer portal. Uh, USC could be like that. All the new staffs, Oklahoma, they could be like that. Well, Florida got two game changers yesterday, even having been in the door about five minutes. And it's not guys that had just been firm commitments and it's a formality on signing day. It was not that. There were were big fights. I mean, Shamar James is from Mobile. It's a big fight for him. A lot of programs wanted him and they ended up getting him. But I'm going to watch Florida really close with the portal because Billy Napier walked in. And I think that think some people wanted him to say, we're going to go all in immediately and we're going to try and keep all the guys committed that we have right now. We're just going to paper the entire country with offers and we're just going to take quantity at the expense potentially of quality in this first signing class. And he said the opposite. In fact, the more you talk to people around the program, the more you realize he could have kept some of these guys that decommitted. But he told them, straight up honest with them, I am going to reevaluate you before I tell you you have a committable offer from us. And he wanted some of them to wait to February. Guys wanted to sign on early signing day. So all's fair on both sides of that equation. You shake hands, you go your separate ways. Uh, He did not take the easy route is the point. And I respect him for it. I think they'll ultimately be better for it. Uh, Short term, no, you look, they're ranked like 50th right now. And so if if you are of the low hanging fruit crowd, you could make fun of that. Uh, USC barely cracked the top 100 late in the day yesterday. So it could be a lot worse. They got a couple of game changers. Let's see what they do in the portal. I thought Auburn was the quietest but most important story in the SEC yesterday. Quietest but most important. 
they seemed to emerge out of nowhere. It was like 3.45, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and Wilt Fong, as I was tossing it around the table, saying, what stands out right now? Wilt Fong pulls up his phone and says, you know Auburn's number 11 at the moment. They were number 11, right? And I said, no, I don't know that. And I pulled the computer up, sure enough, there's Auburn number 11. Seems like 10 minutes ago they were number 50, and then 45, 44. This is a massive win for Brian Harson and his staff. And it sort of falls right in line thematically with what they've done all season. They had an up and down season. I'm gonna grant you that it has not been a total bed of roses for Auburn this year. But remember what happened? Remember they lost to Penn State and then they come home and they almost got beat by an FCS program and then they benched the quarterback and they fired the wide receivers coach and everything seems to be in turmoil and they played their best football. They went on the road and they beat LSU and I remember I said on the show emphatically that next Sunday, I said, bookmark this. It could be nothing, it could be everything. But this could have been a spot where the program imploded or the team, the season imploded and Brian Harson never flinched. And that was point one. And this is another point that I want you to remember. There have been rumors about Brian Harson on multiple fronts. Uh, Bo Nix is exiting the program. There has been some staff turnover there. Uh, you know, there's been some flux of the roster. This could have been another point. When you're recruiting in these shark-infested waters in the SEC, you know, and you are not in the headlines all the time for your NIL plan. Only recently have we started to even hear the letters NIL next to that AU logo. You have every reason to finish outside the top 30. And that's what I would have expected for Auburn. And instead, they finished top 15. You take all the circumstances, blind resume it. I tell you everything that's happened to that Auburn team this year and, and the feel and the mood around the program. And then I say, where do you think that team finishes in recruiting, if you had to guess? You would have said outside the top 30. And I would have too. And we would have been wrong. There is fight. If you say nothing else about Harson and his brief tenure at Auburn so far, there's fight there. There's a sense that there are blinders on the program. And when I say blinders, I don't mean you know, blind to reality. I mean blind to a lot of the external criticism. And that's a credit. That's a credit because you think you always have stuff figured out. Most of the time you don't. Brian Harson, to me still is the most unknown commodity of all the head coaches in the SEC West. That doesn't mean he's not gonna end up panning out and being one of the best. It's just, it's so much still up in the air to me. But these things matter. The way they rebounded at times during the season matters before they ran out of gas totally. And also, what they did yesterday, locking down a top 15 class, it matters. It matters. Kentucky finished, well, didn't finish anywhere. Kentucky, just to touch on a couple of teams right quick, Kentucky's got the number 11 team in the country. They got the number 11 signing class in the country. We had Keonta Goodwin on, five-star offensive tackle. 6'8", about 350, 360, down from 400. Yes, at one point, there was a 6'8", 400-pound kid walking a high school hallway somewhere. Uh, we had him on late kick last night. He actually reaffirmed his commitment on late kick. And then there were some you know, headlines later in the night. As of this moment, Keonta Goodwin, still with Kentucky. Kentucky, the number 11 class. Mark Stoops has got to have the best job in America. Because he's sitting there, he's making the money he's making. They reward him when he wins eight games a year. All, everyone loves him there. He is so secure in his job that he can just overhaul the offense if he wants to. He can take chances in the transfer portal. Oh, and by the way, they're signing top 15 classes. It's, it's when people talk about SEC bias, <laughs> I look at all this, and I look at how frequently we have to talk about the SEC. If I didn't want to talk about the SEC, I still couldn't avoid it on signing day. Everyone wants to get to the end of a season and they see these SEC programs getting benefit of the doubt, and they see them littering the bowl schedule, 
and they see him, you know, getting a push and they see him getting benefit of the doubt even in the media and they have a problem with it. Uh, guys, that doesn't come out of nowhere. When I'm looking on signing day and I'm seeing where the talent's going, that is baked into the public perception that gives the SEC the benefit of the doubt. This is a talent-based business. You've got to have the horses. They've got more of them. They keep getting more of them. Uh, that's why. Kentucky, you would not, if you talked about the SEC, if you're from, uh, let's just say, Topeka, Kansas, and I said, tell me about the SEC. Kentucky wouldn't be in one of the first half dozen programs you mentioned. Kentucky finished 11th in the country yesterday. That would be among or right at the best in some of the other Power Five conferences out there, depending on conference. That's wild. Tennessee finished 14th. Four, that's a top 15 class. And think about how deep into the show it is. It's 724 right now. Think about how deep into the show we are before we've even talked about the Tennessee class. Hey, I want you to keep in mind that as some other programs out there lost their coaches, they never had to worry about it at Tennessee. There were some brief headlines about Josh Heupel. He shot him down very quickly. They've got the number 14 class in the country right now. It's becoming a place that is a lot more trendy and a lot more attractive. And as they start to, they start to really put their thumbprint on the program more and more, there's some excitement, as there should be, in Knoxville. And Josh Heupel is a guy that showed you what he could do with someone else's pieces in year one. Really, really excited to see what they're about to do when they start to get more and more of their ingredients in the kitchen there. Uh, this is also a candidate, potentially, to make some moves in the portal. So that's a look around the SEC. What a day it was. And we're only through early signing day. We still got the second signing day coming up. Transfer portals pretty much 24-7, 365 right now. But it was a memorable day across the conference for many different reasons. You saw the SOT, the sound on tape. That's what that stands for. Soundbite, in other words, that we played of Jimbo yesterday. And sadly, when I put that up, or we did it in the show, I get off air. I think everyone's going to be talking about what Jimbo said. You weren't. A lot of you were talking about what I was wearing because you only ever see me dress like a flood victim and wear one thing all year. And so in the event that it looks like I'm going to apply for a loan and I wear a suit jacket, I want to stress only a jacket. It was still a party from the waist down. It's as specific as I'd like to get with that. Um, you guys were asking, what are you doing? Who's forcing you to do this? Well, no one forced me. It's just adequate decor, you know, when you're working in someone else's studio. But that's not what I was proud of. I was kind of turned off by that. What I'm proud of is anyone who questioned the attire followed it up with, did you get the suit at Academy Sports and Outdoors? And then you remind me when I say no, you say, didn't you tell me you can get everything you need at Academy Sports and Outdoors? Yes, I did. So I need to do my suit shopping at Academy Sports and Outdoors. And look, if they don't have one, I just need to buy the next best thing. We're looking at Michigan B-roll right now. Maybe just wear a Michigan jacket and dare someone to say something. Academy Sports and Outdoors, as we get towards Christmas, and I know a lot of you, if you're anything like me, a lot of you continue to put it off. I think the internet has spoiled you because you know the last ditch, the bailout, the safety net, it's always there. The old internet's always there. And you just put your fingers in your ears when you hear supply chain issues. Don't worry, December 23rd, 24th, I'll just overnight it. Well, look, I don't know if that's the most sound strategy in the world, but if that is the approach that you are choosing to take, academy.com, that's your bailout. I can promise you that academy.com is going to be there. Now look, once it leaves the store and it's out there in the open shipping market, I don't know what happens there. I can't vouch for that. They aren't sponsoring the show, but Academy is. And we vet all our sponsors thoroughly because we only have one of them. They have been our partner. They have been riding with us this entire season. We appreciate it so much. And if you want to show your appreciation, 
in their ability to keep this show free of charge to you, academy.com or Academy Sports and Outdoors for all of your tailgating needs and your Christmas needs. And look, even when we get in January, let's be real, they're still going to be there for you in 2022 as well. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Uh, Let's roll on. So we got to talk about, for some people, an uncomfortable topic here because it's like the old grandpa, the old sage uncle that you may have that's right a lot and you don't like him, so you don't want him to be right, but he is. So Colin, I think this will be the good end point here. There was a lot of gnashing of teeth yesterday on early signing day. You watched Travis Hunter and you watched the whole NIL thing come through and he's headed to Jackson State. And then you look at how many thousands now. Yes, thousands are in the transfer portal. And everyone's screaming in all caps, oh, the sport's in a bad place. Oh, sport's not in a good place right now. This is not healthy for college football. And I find it kind of funny because some of the mouths that are exclaiming that are the same mouths that I remember vividly a few years ago saying, Don't stop these kids from transferring. They should be able to do whatever they want, whenever they want. The coaches move around. The players should move around. And they should get paid when they do it. Whomster we to stand in the way of Johnny Four Star getting paid if someone wants to pay him. I remember all that, and I have the receipts. I have the receipts in my DMs and my email inbox. And some of you were very emphatic about it. And you better hope that someone doesn't do a forensic audit of your Twitter accounts, or else there's going to be some mind-numbing hypocrisy shown And you're going to be holding both bags because a lot of you did support this. Now, if you watch this show, we were independent back in the day. But if you watch this show, I was accused of being a fence rider. It wasn't riding the fence at all. When we've talked about the transfer portal, when we've talked about NIL, I haven't been one that waves my cane at all this stuff and says no, because that's not the way they did it back in my day. It's still my day now. Uh, You know, back in the day, that's not how they did it. So Say no to change 100% of the time. That hasn't been the refrain on this show, but it has been, let's be responsible about this. When you're watching those Black Friday sales and they're trying to calmly open the door and they're trying to single file you in the, in the shopping mall or Academy Sports and Outdoors, um, it's not that they don't want you to be able to shop. They invited you there. They want you to be able to shop. They just don't want you to stampede 10-year-olds so you can go get a grill or so you can go get you know, a, a bib for your kid. That is not the best way to go about it. As I've said, there is a tactful way to go about this, but some of you don't want to listen to me. Well, at least listen to Nick Saban has always been my advice. During all this commotion, Nick Saban's just kind of sat over there. You got the transfer portal on fire, and you got NIL and all sorts of things happening there, and you got Nick Saban over there kind of yawning, 
shrugging his shoulders, and he's a better man than I am, and he's a better man than a lot of us are, because if I was right as often as he is, I would just, I told you so, all day, every day. I would have press conferences every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday where I just pulled out a new sheet of paper and I said, I told you so on this. This goes back so long, guys. Remember, they had the Saban rule passed when he first got to Alabama because he was out working everyone in spring on the recruiting trail. So they just flat out put a window in there, really because guys wanted to be able to take vacation. And they said, you can't be out evaluating if you're a head coach. And he still dominated. He just found a way around it, still dominated. And then they had that, that instance where he asked you, is this really what you want college football to be? You had tempo, you had RPO, you had different offensive linemen downfield rules at the pro level as opposed to the college level. And everyone said, oh, he's whining, he's whining. No, he wasn't whining. He just waited for you to answer. You said, yes, this is what we want college football to be. He overhauled his entire philosophy offensively, and then he started buzzsawing you to death. It's just the difference is he didn't suffocate you anymore. He hung 50 on you. That was Alabama football, and they stayed at the top. And then the playoff expansion talk comes along. And he said, I don't know if that's the best thing to do to get parity in the sport, but no one wanted to listen. And so let's get, let's get something that will make sure that we just don't have this monopoly, this Alabama monopoly. And then they've been in it every year but one, and they've continued to win national title after national title after national title. And then the transfer portal. At Maurice Smith, a grad transfer albeit, but Maurice Smith was one of the first case studies of how strong a stance Nick Saban was going to take on guys just freely transferring anywhere they wanted to. He said, this is not good for the sport. And everyone said, you just want to hoard all the talent over there. And he said to you, no, what's going to happen is some pretty good players are going to leave our program. I'm going to go take the best players in the country. But nope, we opened up that transfer portal anyway. And who's Jamison Williams playing for? Where's he going to be playing New Year's Eve in the playoff as the leading receiver for the defending national champ that is again going to challenge for a national championship? They're dominating the transfer portal. And now NIL comes along. Nick Saban hates NIL. If he tells you otherwise, he's just saying it because he has to. Nick Saban hates NIL. There's, most people don't really like what's going on right now, but yet you've got a very, very vocal crowd out there. I don't know if they're the majority or the minority, but you've got a very vocal crowd out there that believes this is what it's going to take to shave the tops off of the few redwoods in college football and have equality and parity throughout. This is the way that second tier and third tier programs are going to really be able to balance the sport out. It's not. It's not. If you haven't already learned the lesson through the first six or seven trials, let number eight be the lesson for you. Nick Saban and the same usual round of suspects who are already the best at what they do are the best because they adapt and they're gonna, they've already adapted to this. I don't know if you watched yesterday, Alabama did really good on National Signing Day. They will continue to do really good. College football though has too many kids right now around the pool and not nearly enough lifeguards. It's okay for the kids to go swimming. It's okay for kids to transfer. It's okay for NIL. It's okay. Like a lot of us have long since realized, boy, there's a lot of money here. Maybe those kids should be making some. Or those coaches do move around a lot. You know, maybe there are instances where kids should be able to more freely transfer. Uh, listen, you may get Nick Saban off the record and agree with all that. It's not that the Nick Sabans of the world or the JPs of the world, me and Nick, you know, it's not that we're sitting here and we're saying, kids, you can't go swimming. Stay away from the pool. It's not that. It's just that if you're four foot tall and you can't swim, and that's a five foot tall section over here, let's stay out of that. Let's go put you in the three foot section and I need to watch after you. Well, you don't want me to have fun. No, it's not that. Well, well you, don't, you, you think I'm allergic to water? No, it's not that. It's not that. I just don't want you to drown. That's not a real fun day for anyone. And likewise, right now, we didn't have a process to slowly implement the transfer portal. We didn't have a process. 
We didn't have any adults around the pool. We didn't have anybody to say, we can go swimming or we can open this transfer portal. We can have NIL. Let's be responsible at it. No, instead, there was just this giant whistle and a free-for-all. How do you get it back now? The cattle are all over the place. How do you get them back? I've been watching Yellowstone a lot. Um, this is a mess. It's a mess, and I don't really know how to clean it up. See, I can tell you don't make the mess, but once you've made the mess, I'll, you clean it up. You made it. You go clean it up. I don't even know who the you is. That's kind of a problem. I don't know who the you is. And secondly, even if we do identify some arbiters here and people who can take control, who are they and, and are they ready to do it? Are they prepared to do that? We don't have a commissioner in this sport right now. And we certainly don't have a governing body that's centralized and has the best interest of college football at the forefront of the decision-making process. You've got different camps out there and you got everyone in it for themselves right now. I'm not blaming the folks with the SEC on their chest for looking out for their conference or the folks with ACC on their chest for looking out for their conference. Given the current landscape, that's the same way you and I would have to handle things if we ran those respective conferences. It's going to take a mentality of serving the greater good of the sport over the individual greater good in order to change things. I don't know where that comes from. Now, if you, I do know where it could come from. All you really have to do is elect me as commissioner. But in the absence of us being able to get enough folks on board to do that, I don't really know where it comes from. I will tell you this though, circling back to Nick Saban for a second, man, I think one of the defining moments of Nick Saban's entire career at Alabama wasn't a championship. It wasn't a huge crippling loss in his rebound. It was when he sat at that podium several years ago and he said, is this really what you want college football to be? And this could apply to a number of topics right now. The biggest critical mistake that so many people made is they took that as nervousness and as a defense mechanism, and they should have taken it as a blaring warning sign for what he was about to do to you as you did something that detrimentally impacted college football. He's 10 feet tall, so he can swim in the deep end, no problem. You're three feet tall and you can't swim. You get thrown in the deep end, you drown. A lot of college football is kind of gasping for breath right now and has no clue how to handle it. Nick Saban's fine, Bama's fine. Any kind of offense you want to run, any kind of NIL process you want to put in place, any kind of transfer portal situation you want to present, they'll be fine. It's not them that he was worried about. It was the sport that he's been worried about. It's the same problem you have right now when everyone asks, what's the solution here? The solution is you gotta get some selflessness in the room. You may look at Nick Saban and think, oh, that guy only cares about Alabama. He's selfish, he's not selfless. If he was selfish, as you claim, he never would have warned you about any of this. He warned you about everything. He warned you about the playoff, about how to and to not achieve parity. He warned you about NIL. He warned you about the transfer portal. He didn't do that for the greater good of Alabama. He did it because he's one of us that actually cares about the greater good of the sport. Whether you love him or hate him, whether you want to believe that or not, I do believe that about him. I don't ever want him to retire, but if he did, he'd make a pretty darn good commissioner. I don't want to run against him. So I hope he keeps coaching forever. He can hold it down in Tuscaloosa. I'll hold it down. Where would my office be? Probably Fortson. I think that should be the new cradle of college football, Fortson, Georgia. Uh, let's move on because we still got a lot more signing day to talk about. By the way, if you are in the chat, so I just told you to follow on Twitter, very important. Also subscribe to the channel. Both of those things are free, by the way. Uh, there is something that could be happening right now, but it's not happening out of sight. A lot of people seem to be realizing it. Nothing lasts forever except in our memories. I wrote the quote down. That is a quote from my favorite movie poster of all time. 
which is A River Runs Through It. It hung on my wall as a kid. I had the movie poster long before I ever saw the movie. That's how much I love the movie poster. Google it. A River Runs Through It. Great movie poster. It's just a guy fly fishing in the middle of Montana. And there's a quote on the poster. It says, nothing perfect lasts forever except in our memory. I got some Clemson friends that had been a little delusional to the point that they didn't think that applied to them. They were the exception to the rule. Clemson was always going to soar at 50,000 feet above the sport. Uh, th they were few and far between. I'm not saying every Clemson fan thought that. Well, if you did, you, you have crashed back to reality pretty quickly here. Now, in reality, nothing that just happened in 2021 spells total disaster for Clemson. There have been years where Alabama didn't win their own conference. There, there's been a year where Alabama didn't go to the playoff. What did they do the next year? They had, I would argue, the greatest season in the history of Nick Saban's tenure at Alabama. So in and of itself, just the fact that Clemson didn't go to the ACC title game this last year, that doesn't mean anything. There are some warning signs, plural, around this program right now that leads me to ask the question that you see on the bottom of the screen if you're watching on YouTube. Could ACC supremacy be up for grabs? Because make no mistake, Clemson's still the best program in the ACC. But by a margin, at the moment, they're still the best program in the ACC. Just because they didn't win the title this past year, that just means they weren't the best team. That, that's still the best program. A program takes a lot longer than one year to make and normally a lot more than one year to just destroy. But Dabo Swinney did something that we talked about last week. It's now confirmed. He did choose to promote from within for offensive coordinator, and he chose to promote from within at defensive coordinator. I don't think that this is the right move for him. I think it's a mistake. Philosophically, I think it's a mistake. This is nothing against Streeter. It's nothing against Goodwin. It's nothing against either of those guys. The unique situation that Clemson has been in, the stagnation, the staleness of the program, I really thought it was imperative that Dabo Swinney brought some outside flavor in, some fresh blood in. He knows his program better than me. Okay, I don't question the play calling. I don't really question hires either. I'm telling you, I do have a strong feeling on this, that it was not the right move for him. But he gets paid a lot of money for a reason. They finished number 17 for early signing day. Recruiting process not over, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. They're number 17 right now. They're not even top two in their conference. So I want you to think about what we're talking about, losing coordinators, high-level coordinators, long-time coordinators, losing an athletic director, not having any bite in recruiting this year, having several decommits, big decommits down the stretch, having transfer portal, uh, not a mass exodus, but a couple of guys leave. Any one of these things can be overcome. When I ball them all up and I throw it at you, it could hurt you. And this could hurt Clemson. And as I said, even when they were at the height of their run, enjoy it because the conference is not going to sit still. Now, it may be inferior to you at the moment, 2018, 19. It may have been inferior to you, but it wasn't sitting still. North Carolina wasn't sitting still. Miami right now is not sitting still. Florida State was not sitting still. Neither of the Virginia schools are sitting still. Yesterday, we come out of early signing day. Florida State has the 13th ranked team or ranked signing class in the country. Uh, North Carolina had the eighth-ranked signing class in the country. Clemson, again, 17. Miami hired Mario Cristobal. Let me give you a bold prediction. Miami will finish top 10 in recruiting this next year. Will Clemson? In fact, who would you put your money on? Who would you be more confident in when it comes to bringing in a more impressive signing class one year from yesterday? Would it be Miami or would it be Clemson? Would it be North Carolina or would it be Clemson? Here's what's happening. I want to reemphasize. Any one given year does not an implosion make. But what's happening is their talent gap 
is not widening anymore. It was widening for a while. It's not widening anymore. Now the process of that talent gap shrinking a little bit more and more every day is starting to happen, not nationally, but even in their own conference. And so no longer, especially against these programs, are they waltzing into stadiums knowing they have a three touchdown edge on you just in terms of sheer raw talent. Could still be better. They're not gonna have that insurmountable talent edge where the helmet gets thrown out on the field and that's what beats you. They may not have the coaching edge either. Because listen, hats off to Streeter, hats off to Goodwin. If they get it done, they are unknowns right now. Unknown commodities trying to replace head coaching caliber coordinators in Tony Elliott and Brenton Venables and guys that were staples of the program for a long time. Cade Klubnik is the quarterback that they signed yesterday. And DJ Uyangalale was so underwhelming last year that people are asking whether Cade Klubnik can come in and start this year, can come, or start next year, can come in and start as a true freshman. So that most important position is in a state of flux. Offense and defense, unproven coordinators elevated from within a program that's been very stagnant for a couple of years now. Recruiting has taken an absolute dip. That layer of kind of invincibility, the Clemson curtain of no one ever decommits from here and no one ever leaves from here, well, that's eroded away a little bit too. What's the conference going to look like coming up in the next two to four years? Because this past year can be made to be forgotten about if Clemson just restores order and they march right to Charlotte and win the ACC and they go to the playoff next year, you have one more year like you just had. You see panic now. You'd see total freakout if that happened. Because then we would have all these worries affirmed. And at that point, would you look at Dabo Swinney and say, that's the guy I still trust to have all the answers? Boy, 2022, in case you haven't noticed, very imperative. Sort of an inflection year, not a point but an inflection year, there's an, I know there's going to be an assumption now. The assumption is going to be that tiger paw will rebound. You are not going to see that tiger paw have two down years. When Alabama had a, a relatively speaking, a down year in 2019, I was overly confident in saying that about them coming into 2020. I am not nearly that confident. And I spoke to several folks over the past three days that are in positions to know and the overall consensus in the industry is Clemson has never been this vulnerable. That's the overall consensus in the coaching industry, and that's the consensus in the media industry is what it is. You, you may or may not care about that, but the coaching and the folks who are working coach ball for a living, they also feel that way. We'll see. We'll see. I wrap up many segments with we'll see. Uh, the last thing I wanted to touch on before we get to bold best bets is I wanted to touch on a few programs in the Big Ten were you watching this yesterday? I know a lot of folks focus on the SEC on signing day. There were some programs that made moves in the Big Ten, namely Michigan. I've got to credit Jim Harbaugh and his staff so much. They closed on fire. And that's not something we're always talking about with Michigan. And I'll tell you what else they did. They parlayed a college football playoff appearance into real, meaningful, tangible results in this year's recruiting class. You almost never hear that. If anything, a postseason trip is paid off on the recruiting trail the next cycle. This year, they closed with, let me just tell you, they closed with Derek Moore, who's a big edge rusher out of Baltimore, but they also got Keon Saab. That's one of those Clemson decommits. He's a four-star uh, safety out of IMG Academy down in Florida. And they got Darius Clemens yesterday, who's a big receiver out of Portland. Michigan recruits nationally, obviously. Uh, so you go Florida, you go Baltimore, you go Portland, but they closed 
and they really emphasized where the program is right now, where it's headed and what we're accomplishing as we speak, and it worked. This is one of the most remarkable turnarounds where there really wasn't a mass overhaul of anything that we've seen. Jim Harbaugh, this time last year, we were asking ourselves, is he gonna be fired or is he gonna voluntarily step down or are they gonna do what they ended up doing, which was restructuring his contract and having him accept it. He did that and then he's had the best season he's had since he's been at Michigan. Just an amazing repackaging job happening at Michigan right now. Uh, they finished with a top 10 class, at least coming out of early signing day. Really, really big deal there. Ohio State is sitting at number four right now. Buckeyes with the number four overall signing class. Now, you know how it works with Ohio State. They have long since been the alpha recruiting brand in the Big Ten. So they are viewed at a different level and they're held to a different standard. What I mean by that is if the University of Iowa, with all due respect, were to have landed Ohio State's class yesterday, we would be throwing a ticker tape parade in Iowa City. But Ohio State lands this class, and it's judged against other Ohio State classes, and really it's judged against Alabama, A&M, Georgia, all the other elite recruiting brands out there. And as good as this class is, there is a blinking red light on this one, and it's in the defensive backfield. And that's an area for a couple of seasons now. Ohio State has gotten bitten, and they rolled some dice here, and they may have cost themselves. And this is just a gamble that they had to take. They lost some elite defensive backs, to flips in, in recruiting land. And they also slow played Eli Ricks, according to some, uh, because they did not want to mess up their commitment list. But then the guys flip, they don't get Ricks because he goes to Alabama. And then Ryan Watts enters the transfer portal. And all of a sudden, Ohio State fans are looking around saying, wait, who in the world's playing defense back for us one or two years from now? Like, did we really just cost ourselves an opportunity to have an elite secondary? What I would say to you is the same thing I'm saying right now when Georgia fans are talking about their wide receiver unit. It's not done. There are guys not even in the portal yet that will end up being in the portal. This is a destination. For a lot of players, it's a destination. I saw Mark Pantone tweet out earlier. He, he, he runs things essentially at Ohio State. said, been watching film of transfer portal players today. That's the modern day of college football. They will still have several swings at guys who are starting caliber defensive backs at Ohio State. So let's just bookmark it. No, it's not an ideal situation right now. Let's bookmark it though. Penn State was the story of the cycle to me in the Big Ten because Penn State was so quiet. They already had their entire signing class locked up yesterday and they finished number six. You look at that and you think that's a typo. It's not. Penn State right now is the number six signing class in the country. This is a remarkable class for James Franklin and his entire staff there. And they didn't have any you know, major losses yesterday. But here's what's fun when you dive into the Penn State signing class and you kind of do what we did with Texas A&M a second ago. When you look at the Penn State signing class and then you ask yourself, self, what has Penn State been missing? Difference makers offensively. Got one Jahan Dotson, need several of them. You know, you got maybe one elite tailback. Let's get us a couple more. How about quarterback? Sean Clifford coming back for his 47th year at State College. Let's go get ourselves a true five-star caliber quarterback. They did all those things. You look at Penn State's commitment list, and it's almost all offensive players at the top. Drew Aller is a five-star quarterback out of Ohio, nonetheless, who has committed and stayed committed to Penn State, and he's a guy everyone's been talking about up there. It's always, well, when we get Drew in here, when we get Aller in here, they've been talking about it midway through this past season. Said, how's this going to change when we get Drew in here? Well, we're about to find out.
because he's headed to town very soon. Nicholas Singleton is a big-time running back. We talked about him a lot when he did commit there. Uh, Caden Saunders, wide receiver, they got a lot of good offensive skill, and there's a lot different versatility. Uh, the, the characteristics of some of these guys are a little bit different than the player traits and characteristics you've seen Penn State teams have so far. So if these guys do pan out, this is a different look in Penn State offense than we've seen, which is what they have to have to take the next step to be where they want to be in the Big Ten. I wanted to also touch on Michigan State right quick. They, you know, I, let, me, let me get this in the right order, okay? So Justin Thind works for our Michigan State 24-7 site. And I have to give shout-outs because it's his birthday. So happy birthday. And then I also had to ask him, how do I pronounce your last name, man? Like, I've, I've communicated with him for a while, but T-H-I-N-D. How, how would you pronounce it? I almost tried to put a Z in the word minced yesterday. Embarrassing situation. Uh, luckily, spell check caught it. Uh, so, Thind, Justin Thind, happy birthday. He puts this little nugget of information on the Michigan State board earlier. Michigan State signed more four-star players in this class than the last four recruiting cycles combined. That's not bad. And you know what? They missed out on Armani Winfield and Keonta Goodwin, who committed on late kick yesterday. They missed out on some of the really big remaining targets they had out there. They still got more four-star or better talent in this class than the past four combined. And as you know, synonymous with Michigan State Mel Tucker is transfer portal. So they still have work that they can do in this class. I was very impressed with this yesterday. You know, now they're finishing early signing day at 21. And really, this is a testament, because if anything, people are saying, oh, they need to be ranked a little higher. Yeah, Michigan State football. That's right. When they're only at 21, you're thinking to yourself, I need to do a little better. There's a new standard there. This year has changed the standard. Mel Tucker has changed the standard there. Boy, I've talked a lot of signing day the past uh, 48 hours. So I'm not saying I'm glad to have it in the rear view. I'm glad to be done speaking so I can rest the voice. But we can't do it yet because we have best bets for bowl season to hand out. You ready? The Ramen Noodle Express was not going to leave you high and dry in bowl season. We just had to wait for the opt-outs to be finalized. You like when I pop the paper, you said, so I'm going to do it frequently. Western Kentucky plus three. This is a Saturday game. All three of the games I'm about to hand out are this Saturday. Uh, Western Kentucky plus three. They're playing App State. Fresno State, I like it anywhere under 13. Fresno State minus 12 and a half. That is a Saturday game. And Utah State plus seven and a half. I'll also take it at seven. They're playing Oregon State. That's a later game, I think. It's on ABC. So Utah State plus seven and a half. Fresno minus 12 and a half. Western Kentucky plus three. Guys, thank you so much for watching and for tuning into the signing day show yesterday. Had a great reception. I met several of you in the Fort Lauderdale airport going and coming. So thank you for that. Um, also, we will be here Sunday night and then we're going to enter Christmas broadcast scheduling, which is sort of TBD still, uh, but I'll let you know. I'll give you a final schedule Sunday night. Also going to announce where we will be for the playoff on Sunday night. It's down to two, either Dallas or Miami. So I'll let you know that on Sunday night. Thank you so much for watching. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Subscribe to the channel. Follow on Twitter at Late Kick Josh. Have yourself a great rest of your evening and God bless. It only takes two minutes of sheer horror. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. 
A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with the pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+.